Get out of here, kid. Alright, cool. Genesis uh, 2. Like, Brie discovered it's right after the cover. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Genesis. We've started a couple weeks ago in Genesis, and uh, I titled this series, if we make it all the way through, uh, God and Man. God and Man. Um, you know, Genesis, obviously, is, you know, each of us probably been exposed to Genesis at one time or another in our lives, but uh, it tells how everything came to be. And I think this recent time through it, or as I was coming to it and praying about what to, to study and, and share, um, I felt like God was showing me that this is really relevant to man from God's perspective, from his perspective. That sometimes I feel like maybe, in the, maybe it's just for me, but in the past I've come to Genesis and kind of read it as de facto and not really seeing God in it as much as I was seeing the characters in it, like Adam and Eve or Abraham or Joseph. And yeah, God was there, but I didn't really see him as the central character, um, so to speak, of Genesis. And I think um, that there's uh, definitely... Um, some benefit to that, so Aww. apparently, yeah. Um, but <laughs> we got. I want to put wheels on that thing. Uh, but it's important to read Genesis as it is, and that's you know, like we talked about, it's a truthful telling of God, of God for what man needs to know. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that um, there's a lot of things that aren't in the Bible. Excuse me, that you know, like for instance, about heaven that we don't necessarily know the specifics of, and for whatever reason, God has decided that we don't need to know those things. And we also, when we looked at creation, God doesn't get into the molecular level, so to speak, but he tells us what we need to know, that we can understand it whether we're a child or whether we're an old man or whether we're a mathematician or whether we're an artist or musician. God wants us to understand these things on a way that's as much as we need to know. Yeah, it's good to know these other things, but I think the important part is knowing that God made things and God made everything. And we saw, that we saw creation, and I think that there's really no reconciliation here with worldly theories and other worldly religions of creation and the account of creation. They just they just don't match up. And believe me, I've tried. You know, I tried through high school. I tried through college. And then after I got saved, I began to realize, yeah, it, it doesn't have to match up. I don't have to try and twist God's word to fit uh, some man's word. But tonight we're going to look at chapter 2. And hopefully we'll get through the whole thing. Um, uh, but the title of tonight's message would be The Lord God Made. The Lord God. This is going to be the first time we see that in chapter 1. Uh, we see it's just God made, but tonight it's the Lord God made. And let's, uh, we'll start out in chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll read three verses here. It says, um, with my night vision here. Uh, <laughs> I can help you. I have the sunlight. Do you want me to read it? Oh, yeah. You want to read the first three verses? Sure. Yeah. It says, the, seven, the seventh day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. Oh, I have the King James Version, by the way. That's okay. That's the right version. Okay. <laughs> Very good, cool, thank you. Uh, but I see we read here that the first three verses could really be a part of chapter one in a way. Chapter one talks about all creation, and then now it, it finishes the account of creation. But it's interesting that the part uh, is, uh, is separated with God's rest. So that, I don't know what they were thinking when they put the numbers in there, but maybe that's what, what they were thinking. Uh, but we see that creation was finished, and it means to be complete or be at an end. And I think that that right there should give us uh, an inclination as to what to believe about macroevolution. That creation was finished. Creation is done. All creatures that uh, have been made, they exist already. 
um, and maybe they stopped existing uh, for one reason or another. Uh, but don't like it? Well, I'll take it up with God. I'm only <laughs> believing what I'm reading and teaching what I believe. But God ended his work, and I think that that shows us that if God would end his work, we should end our work too from time to time, that all work should have an end. You know, there's days, there's nights, there's weekends, there's times to work, and there's times not to work. We see that through the Bible and Ecclesiastes, that there's a time and a season for everything under heaven. Um, but that there needs to be rest on top of that. It's not just you stop doing one job and go to another job. I remember in high school working, I mean, going to school, and then not really going to school, but <laughs> being there, and then going to work afterwards, or working two jobs, or in college and things, um, working multiple jobs, and it was just always work. And I would just sneak a nap in here and there when I could. Um but we need to rest. It's good. It's like, Ashley, we were coming home from family today, and it's like, get that Sunday or whatever day of the week it is for you. It's like your Sunday. But um, coming home and just, all right, that's the end of the week. The week's, you know, done. We're kind of spent. We just need to chill out for a little bit. And thankfully, we got a little rest, so we're good. Um, but I think that that's important. You know, God, if God can rest from his work, we should be able to, too. You know, scientists are still not sure why we need rest. And, you know, I think it's because we do. You know, things wear out. You know, we're not perfect. Everything begins to wear out. Clothes wear out. Your car wear out. wears out. Everything wears out. And especially if you don't rest it, you know. Uh, I'm not too big into racing, but when they race a car and they race it hard, whether it's a drag car or whether it's they're doing uh, 24 hours in Le Mans and they take it apart, they take it apart and rebuild it at the end because that constant pace of going, 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 and going as hard as possible just wears things out super fast. You know, the, they say the key to longevity of a car is, is good maintenance. You know, you're always changing the oil. You're always checking things, making nipping things in the bud. But if you don't, if you just go, 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 eventually it's going to die. You know, you can uh, get two cars that are same age with the same amount of miles on it, but one will be totally disheveled and the other one will be immaculate because one was given rest, so to speak. It was taken care of and the other one wasn't. And, and I don't know about you, but me, I definitely need rest. Um, eight hours a night, I get eight hours. I'm like, I could use more than eight hours. <laughs> I could use 11 hours. <laughs> I slept for 18 hours once in high school. It was crazy. I woke up, I didn't know what day it was. <laughs> uh, it was good. I would do it again. <laughs> but I have kids, so it doesn't matter. Ashley gets even less than I do. Um, you know, if God rested, so do we. Um, but God didn't sleep here. God was just taking a break from his work, you know, and uh, the culture today is all about work, 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 you know, stay up late, work all night, pull all-nighters, I remember playing all-nighters in college, I was playing all-nighters, playing games, while, you know, other people playing all-nighters, writing papers, <laughs> but, um, you know, it doesn't work, you know, people will work all the time, and I'm not saying that, you know, it's not necessary from time to time, um, but when you do that, you begin to see that other things begin to deteriorate, maybe your job's doing good and you get fired, but maybe your home life's not as good, or maybe your friendships are dwindling, or maybe your personal health is dwindling, because it's not its not natural. It's not good all the time. Um, you know, I understand there are different situations and different needs, but sincerely, there needs to be a time of rest. I remember learning about social in social studies, probably middle school is about as highly educated as I am, but about crop rotation. You know, like people had to plant crops, and if they didn't, like, rotate what crops were in the, in the soil, the soil would get worn out because it didn't get... Rest, and even at some point in Scripture, God commands the Israelites to give the land rest. And what happens to them when they don't? They end up going into captivity. God says, "Well, all right, you disobeyed me, and now the land's going to get its rest uh, because it needs it." But this idea of being sanctified or being set apart here uh, of this day of rest that God made um, is that it's hallowed, honored, holy, 
um, treat it as sacred um, or to observe it. It's the show oneself even sacred or majestic. And I think that's interesting. I never considered that before as far as God taking a rest. That I believe it shows in a way God's resting shows his holiness. That God stepping away from his act of creation, from his work of creation, exposes his majesty. Sort of like artists, they, they make all their art or they make an album and then they go out and tour and they show off their work. You know, they're not making the album anymore. Or, or an artist will have a gallery or a, I forget what they call it, but, you know, being in the design world, there's a lot of people who like to do classical art and then they have a, an expo of it. And that's the same thing. It's showing what they made and, and God is, is stepping back and revealing who he is here, that he made it and he can rest in it, that he's not scrambling all the time to keep it going, yet he holds it, but he's God. He's got it under control. Um, and I think that our resting, in a way, reveals our need for him. That when we rest, it reveals that we are not perfect, that we are finite, and that we need to depend on someone uh, who's, uh, who's infinite. Uh, but uh, I think that there needs to be a separation, a work-life balance, as has been said. But I think even more than that, that we need to keep the Sabbath holy. And I don't mean Sabbath as a Saturday in the Jewish tradition, you know, as we see that our Sabbath is in Jesus, our rest is in Jesus. But so we need to have a time that is set apart for him, um, whether that's in the morning, whether that's one day a week, whether it's something every day. I think it should be every day as a Christian. Again, we need that spiritual rest every day, even if it's a catnap, it goes a long way. You know, there's be times at work when I would go nap in my car and come back and be so refreshed. And other people would be like, I can't do that. Now, how do you do that? Uh, easy. I go in there. <laughs> I roll the windows. <laughs> it's like when I'm tired, it's like I need it. Like even if I'm a little groggy when I come back, I, it helps me get through the rest of the day. But we need that. And I was talking to my daughter about priorities. We were getting in uh, the car last night. And the rain. my daughter and I went on a date. She took me on a date. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got three girls looking at it. It's great. But uh, we go out to uh, Dunkin' Donuts to get smoothies and because uh, there was no like yogurt place in the area. But we're getting back in the car and it's about to start raining. And she's like, oh, can I have my smoothie now? I'm like, no, 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 get in your seat first. And then like, she's like, can I have my smoothie now? I'm like, no, 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 you got to get your seatbelt on first. Then I'll give it to you. You know, we got to have certain priorities. Otherwise, you know, we'll be sitting here in the parking lot the whole night drinking a smoothie, which wouldn't necessarily be bad. But um, and as soon as I got in the car, it started raining. So I'm glad we got that sorted out. Uh, but the same way in our lives, we need to have these priorities, we need to keep them, but then we also need to evaluate them from time to time. Um, I remember years ago, a friend telling me to get a calendar because it would change my life, and it did. I started getting organized, but then I began to live by my calendar, and everything was in my calendar, and I had, you know, it was, became a prison of sorts, so I had to evaluate that and figure out how to use it differently. Uh, but that's the same thing uh, with our relationship with God. We need to um, make sure we have our God time, our family time, and restful time uh, regularly attended to and given importance. And, and maybe that means a regimented time for you every day, or maybe it just means you're just doing it. Just, you know, you're just doing it. You know, God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't, you know, maybe it's better to show up in the morning than it is to show up at night, but as long as you show up, God just wants you to show up. Let's go on uh, verse 4 through 7. It says, uh, does anyone want to read 4 through 7? Sure, I'll read. Cool. Uh, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. From the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and, and watered the whole face of the ground, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Thanks, babe. But in chapter 1, we really get, a, I believe, a play-by-play -play of God creating. 
we see God creates the heavens and the earth. You know, we see him hovering over the waters, separating the waters, doing all these acts of creation. But I believe in chapter 2, uh, we're seeing really a zooming in on the personal story of God creating, of Yahweh creating, the Lord God. The word Lord is Yahweh or Jehovah. And we see him creating specifically man. It backs up a little bit and talks about plants and everything. But the goal here is to show Yahweh creating man. And we, the word is Yahweh Elohim, or the existing one. It's the proper name of the one true God. In the first chapter, we see God. He's the one who creates. He's the God of the universe. He's God. We get his title. Um, but in chapter 2, we learn God's personal name. We get to meet him, in a sense. That we saw what he was doing before, in a sense, from a distance, and now we've kind of grown a little bit closer and stepped in closer to the personal act of creation. And it, maybe it makes you think of Moses when he was out in the wilderness, and God appeared to him in a burning bush. And he goes, well, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh who sent me? He goes, tell him that I am that I am sent you. Or Jesus, when he's in the garden and the, the, the troops come to bring him and arrest him, uh, he says, I am. And they all fall backwards. He gives his name. He gives his personal name of God here. Um, and that there's something personal about that. That, yeah, God is holy and God is separate and God is all-powerful and the maker of everything. But he's not, you know, an absentee landlord, as, been, as it's been put. That he is intimate. He has a name and, and we can know him. Um, like the scripture says, what's his son's name, if you can tell me. Uh, but we, look, we see here that the water cycle was different at this time, that the water came up from the ground. Um, we know from the beginning of creation, if we're uh, getting the understanding correctly, there's waters above, there's sky, and then there's waters and earth below. You know, perhaps mist and dew could be a modern-day remnant of that, a reminder of the way things used to work. And I think that um, we all kind of long for the way things used to work from time to time. You know, as the world progresses and the world gets more advanced in certain ways, mm -hmm. sometimes we... Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I can't phones go. Yeah, right? And it's like we kind of long for the old days. Like, you know, I can remember, speaking of phones, I can remember like leaving my phone at home and feeling like it's the 90s. I'm like, how did I live in the 90s without the phone? <laughs> yeah. uh, but yet I'm not willing to give it up, you know? Uh, you know, I, I'm attached to it, but there's still this longing for the way things used to be when you used to have a real conversation or you write a letter or just have that... Uh, quiet time without the TV on, um, or you think, ah, oh, the 50s, uh, the 50s were the, that's the time I long for, and what always blows me away about that, I remember being uh, in the car as a kid in the 80s, my mom would listen to 50s music, and think about how old that music was, mm -hmm. and that was 30 years ago, and now it's, the 80s is 30 years ago, so I go, oh, the 80s, I wish it was the 80s, <laughs> 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 movies were better, things were better, but, <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. That's right, not that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if we'll look back in the future. You know, is this like the mullet of today? But, <laughs> I don't care. I'll be the one of those guys hanging on from doing. Uh, <laughs> but the flood, you know, it says a lot of water came from somewhere. We see water from above and from below. Uh, but, you know, we see that the Bible does clearly understand the water cycle. It wasn't just a miscommunication here. We've seen Ecclesiastes 1 7. It says, All the rivers run to the sea, and the sea is not full unto the place from whence the rivers come. There they return again, that there is this understanding uh, of the water cycle after the flood as well. But we see the Lord God over and over and over here. We're in a, as we get through the chapter, we see it multiple, multiple times. Uh, the Lord God made in verse 4. The Lord God not caused it to rain in verse 5. And I think that's interesting. It says the Lord God caused it to not rain. That, that you know, he is the cause of the rain. Um, I think it's interesting that people are still so afraid of water and afraid of uh, the ocean's rising, I think because underneath it, they're afraid of God. They're afraid of judgment of sin again. And, uh, you know, whatever you want to believe about global warming, it's like just 
move inland 10 miles and you'll be fine. <laughs> you know, we have new beachfront property. Just buy land in Iowa or something. <laughs> but it says that God, Lord God, formed man in verse 7. <laughs> hey, yeah, Florida, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be more worried about California. Yeah. yeah. He's being a bad boy. Yeah, he's having uh, <laughs> a hard time. They ain't no nap. Uh, but, you know, we're going to read more of that today. But it says that Lord God formed man, and that word formed is obviously formed, but I think it also be fashioned. That there's, uh, you know, he wasn't just lumping clay together. He was forming and molding and fashioning. And his name is here who he is. A man, Adam, Adam, it just means man. Um, and just like God's name is who he is, God, yeah, I don't know, I'm not, don't know if I'm saying that right, but, uh, the word dust of the ground is Adama, A-D-A-M, you know, if you're to pronounce it, uh, A-H, where that there's even this interesting correlation there between man and ground, uh, dry, loose earth, uh, one of the translations is actually rubbish, so thanks a lot. So we are rubbish? <laughs> yeah, well, think about it, all our works are the filthy rags, right? Yeah. But uh, but we're made out of dirt, you know, that oh we're dirt and water. And one of those words there is mortar. We think of making bricks. Um, and it's interesting that the captive Israelites in Egypt had to make what? Bricks. That in their slavery, in their disobedience, in their uh, enslavement to the world away from God, they had to make bricks out of mud. You know, Jesus was a carpenter, but the word technically is builder, a contractor. Um, and very well, he could have made stuff out of wood, but there's also a possibility, given the geography of the land, that it was stone, that he was a stonemason. Now, I'm not saying change all your beliefs and, you know, fight someone tooth and nail that he wasn't a carpenter, you know, it's, they, they have wood there too, but I'm just saying, you know, I think God likes to make stuff. God likes to make stuff. You know, he spoke all these things to be, but here I get the sense that there's this physical formation going on. You know, he spoke light to be, he spoke the stars into being. But here he's forming man. He's getting down and dirty and making man. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, uh, or poema, or a poem, created in Christ Jesus and the good works, which God hath uh, before ordained that we should walk in them. That just as in the Old Testament, in the beginning we were formed as this uh, formation, this you know beautiful little work of God, intimate work with God. So in the spirit, we're formed of him. We're formed intimately of him to do things that he planned before all this happened, that before God even made all these things, he goes, I know, you know, there's that meme of that guy, with, <laughs> I don't know if you guys say, I'm like hooked on memes, but he's like, you know, if, you know, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> you can't, you can't lose any friends if you don't have any, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> But, uh, you know, we see here that God breathed into Adam's nostrils. You know, there's this lump of molded dirt into a man on the ground. And, you know, I don't know. I can't make a man. I could go mold something, but it's not going to turn into something as uh, amazing here. So God definitely was working. Um, but he breathed into his nostrils. You know, I think of like CPR. <laughs> you know, I remember the, doing CPR in high school, and it just always tastes like bleach because they'd always like, clean it so good. I don't want to do I don't learn this. Um, but the man became a living being. You know, this dirt that was formed there, God breathed on it, and it became a living being, a sentient being. Uh, you know, we think of Ezekiel, the dry bones come back to life. God tells Ezekiel to prophesy dry bones, and uh, a noise comes, and they come back together. Um, but uh, in John 20, 21 and 22, Jesus says to them again, Peace be unto you, 
And as my father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. That even in the New Testament, that this is a picture of what's going to happen later. That this physical life coming to be is a picture of the spiritual life coming to be, of God forming and making and breathing. That there's this intimate contact, you know. Uh, I don't know what I heard lately, but uh, something about like bad breath territory or something. Like, you know, you're hanging up, but then it's like, you know, you don't want to wait till they're that close to deal with the situation. Uh, you know, I was talking about, like, uh, getting in a fight. It's like, you don't want to wait till they're that close to make up your mind. You know, you want to get away earlier than that. But um, but we see here that he's a living being. Um, and it isn't until we receive the Holy Spirit that we become a living being spiritually. That You know, the role of the Holy Spirit is in the world to convict them of sin and judgment and righteousness. And when that begins to take place and we receive what God is preaching to us about Jesus and about our sin, that he comes to live inside us. And we're not born again until he begins to live inside us. Um, and that's what happens here. It's this intimate time. You know, salvation is intimate. Um, you know, did we not respond to a loving God who showed up to us and intimately invited us to be forgiven of our sins, intimately reached down to you and me um, personally? I mean, I can remember personally getting saved, being in my room at my mom's house and just being broken and crying. And I don't remember what I said, you know, so I know that there's no specific potion. You know, there's no ABC, you know, Hogwarts to figure out what what way to get saved, but that there's an intimate there. I remember God being there. You know, call me crazy, but I'm saved. I know that, and it's I didn't see him. It wasn't like some guy walked in with cool sandals and an outfit, but I sensed his presence there. And you know, I remember that same presence being a kid, being a little kid, uh, being there. Um, it wasn't intimate, you know. Was it not just? calling a standing or a praying or reciting some special words. Not there's anything wrong with receiving the Lord in, in a setting like that. But I know that that's just not it. If we're really saved, that even if that's the way it came to be, that you knew God was calling you. You knew God was speaking to you. You knew God was reaching out to you when you needed it most. Um, but was it, not being, was it not just being dead and being raised to life, that when God did save us, when we did receive his salvation, was it not being dead and coming to life? You know, I think sometimes we don't, Think of it that way, and that's what it really is. You know, we were dead in our sins, and God has made us alive. He's formed us and given us a new life, and, and that's what we need to walk in. I, I, my, my fear is, uh, is that we've lost sight of that as a church. We've lost sight of the, the amazing reality, the miracle that took place, that God took people who were dead, who were stuck in sin, couldn't get out, were broken, and made them new. And I think we just kind of do our thing and... And myself included, you know, like we just kind of go day to day. Oh, it's Monday again, and oh, yes, it's Friday again. And, and we forget that, man, this is a new life I have. God's given me a new life, and I can walk in it. Uh, let's go on. Uh, does anyone want to read 8 through 14? If not, I can do it. Well, I can read it, but uh, I have the uh, next anyone? five versions. That's all right. Oh. I quote from the non-living leader, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just keep it consistent. Now. Is 8 through 14? Uh, please, if you want to. You have to. <laughs> and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife... Uh, no, sorry, 2 verse 8. Oh, 2 verse... What? Oh, where am I? Probably 3. Probably 3. It's just because we're Oh, okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed... Out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Mm. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, the 
tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is, is uh, Hashem, and it is one which skirts the whole land of Sorry, I gave you a doozy. <laughs> that one. Where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Oof. The Devon and the Onyx Stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hideko. It is the one which goes eastward as of uh, <clears throat> towards east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Hmm. Thanks, bro. Mm -hmm. I owe you one. <laughs> I'll get you some <laughs> some good gold. <laughs> but, yeah, that's fine. So there's just too much of the non-spark. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Does he laugh like Santa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never met Santa, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Santa in the summer. Yeah, Santa in the summer. Yeah. And red. Yeah, I this. Uh, but God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And, you know, so I, I have to think, you know, me being a troublemaker. So is the garden Eden or was it in Eden? You know, we always say the garden of Eden. We always call it Eden. But was it just the garden in the land called Eden? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But I was just thinking. Uh, you know, cause sometimes we read over scripture and kind of gloss, like, over the little minutiae because we've, we've come with an expectation of what we've heard before. Uh, but Jesus loved going to the garden to pray. He loved going to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And uh, I think it's interesting that God's creating a garden here too. You know, God made a garden. And he, in a sense, I think he made the whole earth the garden. You know, if you take out yeah. all the cities and airplanes yeah. and everything, it's a garden, right? Uh, especially if you look at the other planets as a garden. But he also made a special place for man to live and meet with him. A garden within a garden. You know, we have the temple, we have the the outer gates and the, the outer courts and then the holy the holy place and then the holy of holies. And I think in the same sense, God's sort of lining that up in this in this garden here. But can't you picture it? You know, I picture God making a garden. He brings Adam there. He plops him down. You know, he begins to walk through and, and bring up, oh, all these pleasant trees and all these good trees to eat. And, you know, he begins sprouting it up. And I don't know, maybe I've seen too many movies or played too many games. <laughs> but, like, you know, I see, like, God begin to, to do these things. And it's interesting that the, these trees are pleasant to the sight and they're good for food. And I think that those things go hand in hand for the most part, you know, except for people who like escargot, like my wife. Like, we're talking about the same, like, oh, that doesn't look good. I'm not eating that. You know, it's got to look good. You know, uh, we got, I, got, I got these hot dogs that I thought were on sale here today. They're not on sale. And I looked down, they didn't look good. They look like that pink filler. I'm like, oh, and I try it. I'm like, oh. So I did, I did. <laughs> one, one is a hot dog. One is a hot dog. And then two, it's like, oh, hot dog. And then so I was done. And like, I I had lunch and I went, work was busy on Friday. I left them up here. Went down. My wife's like, what happened with the hot dogs? I'm like, they look gross. <laughs> they look gross and they taste gross. I'm like, maybe the kids will eat them. <laughs> uh, but sincerely, you know, that, uh, that there's an important here that God was hand-picking and hand-planting here uh, for Adam to have a, a nice place to be. Um, but we see that there's a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, the word tree is the same word as tree before. It's an actual tree. And I think it's interesting that the pre-resurrection of Jesus, spiritual things are manifest in very practical ways. Uh, we see God show up in a burning bush. Uh, we see certain miracles happen where it's like God uses these physical pictures to demonstrate spiritual truths. You know, there are these parables in a sense 
uh, living parables. You know, we see Joseph's life. He's a picture of Jesus, but he's a real guy, and he's got to go through real jail to be a picture of God. Um, uh, we see other things like that, too, you know, uh, for a picture of a deeper relationship with God. You know, the temple is a picture things to come. It was a shadow, Paul said. All these uh, new moons and Sabbaths and all that stuff was a shadow of the things to come. But we see that after the resurrection, things are uh, differently displayed because the fullest physical picture, Jesus, was already presented. That if Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, we don't need any more burning bushes. We don't need any more, you know, actual trees of life, uh, you know, to be a picture of things. We have the fullest picture in Jesus. Uh, and Jesus himself says in John 4, 23 and 24, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He was talking to a Samaritan woman. She said, I can't go to the temple. I'm a Samaritan. He's like, lady, time's coming, and now is, because I'm here. When you're going to worship me in spirit and truth, because you don't need to go through a whole rigmarole. You just come You come to me, uh, Jesus. And, you know, just like that, we don't need an actual garden in to worship Jesus or spend time with him or a temple. But I think that the place uh, we do meet with him in our lives will become a spiritual garden. That as we meet with him, it's going to bring forth all kinds of fruit, pleasant uh, to the eye and good for food. You know, there's the fruit of the spirit. You know, Jesus said fresh water comes uh, from a fresh spring and the words of life are going to come out of us. Because if we're spending time with God, he's going to begin to plant things in our life. He's going to begin to bring things to life in us that that are totally evident of God and realize, oh, yeah, you definitely couldn't have done that one. <laughs> you know, like, it's amazing. You know, everyone compliments my kids. and like, it's my wife's fault. They're all good looking. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Revelation, um, again here, uh, you know, it's a picture of future creation of new heavens and earth. In Revelation 22, 1 and 2, it says, uh, and John says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and from the Lamb, so we see a river again. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. So this tree coming up from both sides and uh, says it bore 12 fruits, each uh, tree yielding its fruit every month. Uh, the leaves of the tree were for healing the nations. That, again, is this picture of the new heavens and new earth, of what it's going to be like for eternity. There's this tree there that, that we can eat from and live from, um, and it comes from God. Um you know, these are speaking of actual trees and actual rivers. Um, I believe they'd be washed out by the flood when the flood came, that the world was changed and shaped at that time. But I believe that Adam saw these and he passed them down. Um, obviously, Moses wrote down Genesis, but through the verbal tradition, oral tradition, he passed it down. Um, and even when you look through the generations of the overlap, Noah and Adam are, are pretty close. And, you know, uh, the telephone game's not going to go that far between them. Um, but again, I think that as they say, they name these rivers, and there's still a river named Euphrates today, that maybe they tried to put places and things there. I think in the sense of like New York or New Jersey, there's a place called York, there's a place called Jersey, you know, there's a place called England, and there's a place called New England. And in some way, they came over here after the flood, and like, oh, that kind of looks like Euphrates, and they name it Euphrates. Oh, that kind of looks like Pishon, or whatever you call it, and the name of that, or Hittichel, or whatever. There's a place called York? It must be in England, right? If we're in New York, right? Yeah, there is a place in New York. Gotta be. You can't have New Jersey without Old Jersey. I don't think it's necessary to have two. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. They're British, or I know I'm Irish. But <laughs> uh, I just like potatoes. But, uh, <laughs> but maybe that would be my guess that there's a New Jersey, an Old Jersey. 
but you know, again, I think that this is awesome stuff. That in a land, time gone by, uh, inaccessible, forgotten, washed away at the beginning. Um, you know, what a wonderful sight it must have been. You know, what a pure sight. You know, it's kind of like uh, you go to New Jersey and you say, hey, you don't say what a wonderful sight it must be. <laughs> and I'm from Jersey, I can say that. But I think, I think the desire to go there, not New Jersey, and some part is why people love stories like Lord of the Rings so much. Because it evokes that same sense of wonder and desire for a land forgotten, a time forgotten. I would love to see what it looked like back then. Um, you know, it's, it's just out of reach. It's permanently out of reach. Um, you know, uh, let's go on. Let's read the last five verses here. And, and I'll earn my paycheck by reading these five here. Uh, actually, no, it's not the last five. Um, there's like more. Yeah, there is. No, there's like yeah, All right, so let's go. I'll read them so we go fast. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden uh, to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, the birds of the air, every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And I would say, thank God that no one in that list was comparable to him. Uh, but God puts Adam there in the garden with a purpose to tend it, to keep it, to dress it, to watch over it, that he was a steward. And again, it's a picture of the stewardship that God gives us. And again, you know, who does Mary think Jesus is after the resurrection? She goes, oh, gardener, where did you put Jesus? And it's Jesus. You know, I think that, I know that God has a holy, sweet sense of humor by the way that he depicts these things, and he carries them on throughout Scripture and throughout time. You know, so she thinks he's the gardener. Come on. <laughs> That's fantastic. He's like, yeah, I kind of am, but uh, not knowing. But, uh, you know, Jesus loved being called the Son of Man. He loved being intimate with uh, humanity. You know, God gives Adam a specific general purpose here, but he gives him a personal command to eat anything, uh, but not that tree because you're going to die. And it's funny that uh, Satan says to him later, you know, you guys aren't going to die. But what happens, they die spiritually immediately, but then physically, they, they die later. Physical death would take time. But verse 18, God already knows that it's not good for man to be alone. You know, he knew it all along. Uh, it wasn't like after, you know, he did all this. He knew it, he knew it then. Um, but it wasn't time yet. I think Adam had to see for himself, you know, that God was making a helper uh, comparable to him. Um, and it's really just one who helps. And uh, man, I, I say I could not do life uh, without my wife, in a sense. Um, you know, that's why God brought her to me. But, you know, God knows what he's going to do, and I think I see a smile on his face here that he goes, oh, yeah, Adam's not complete. Oh, yeah. I want to make him someone comparable to him, but right now, come here, animals. <laughs> you know, God's got, God's got something going on on the back burner. Um, but he brought these animals to Adam to see what he would call them, and, I, you know, God obviously knew what Adam was going to do. He's omniscient. But I think there's a relationship here, and I kind of, again, see a smile like, hey, Adam, come here. What do, you, what do you call this? What is this? You know, I like when my daughter brings out a little baby doll or, or a little puppy or something. I go, oh, what's their name? And she comes up with, you know, a name. Or today she named the baby doll Olive, which is the name of my coworker's kid who was born on the same day as Alicia. Uh, but just, I like seeing that. I like getting to know my daughter in that way. Like the same time, you know, we went on a date last night and just got to talk to her and hear what she would say about things. Um, you know, and even if someone else would name it something different, um, you know, I like the name because she called them. Yeah, they could be that crazy name. That's fine with me. But whatever Adam called them, they were called, you know. Um, I think it's important, a, a purpose and a way to have a relationship. 
Uh, but it was also a picture of man's authority over creation. That God said, hey, Adam, you can name these guys. This is up to you. But in all of this, in this lineup, um, Eve wasn't at the end. She wasn't even there. It wasn't like, you know, monkeys, apes, pigs, donkeys, chihuahuas, and then Eve is at the end like, come on, guys. <laughs> like, let's get, why am I last here? <laughs> Smells back here, you know? Like, she wasn't even there. She wasn't even made yet. You know, and I think I'm eight years older than my wife. She wasn't even made yet when I was born. And, you know, when I was 20 and she's 12, it would have been super creepy. And I, <laughs> but when I'm 30 and she's 22, or I'm 40 and she's 32, it's not so creepy anymore. She got the wrong end of the deal there. The same thing, Adam was created first. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> um, well, I got an extra half year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's even creepier. <laughs> but, yeah. but God just knows I wasn't mature yet. It took me a lot longer. Yeah, that's so. But I think so, in all this lineup, she wasn't there. And I think, you know, do, do we ever get a picture of that in our own lives? When all these things we get to get lined up and none of them seem to be what we were kind of expecting. You know, like Samuel looking for the king uh, to succeed Saul at Jesse's house. All the older brothers are all lined up and looking kingly. And he goes, no, none of these are it. Don't you have any more kids? Like, I know I'm supposed to be here, but where's the king? He's not here. And he goes, oh, David's on the field. Don't worry about him. But he's, he's the one. He's the king. And I think so often in our lives, all these things get lined up. Possible answers, possible solutions, possible wives, but none of them add up. Uh, things seem empty. They seem hopeless, you know. Um, but I believe God has something greater in store, that he's known about it before you got to getting around to naming all these options. Before you and I get out the spreadsheet, column A, column B, pros and cons, and, you know, we get our list of things, of what to do, God's already got another thing in mind. And I can say at times about employment or different things going on where I didn't have any options or the options I thought just didn't seem right and God had something else going on uh, behind the scenes. Let's go here. We'll read the last five verses and uh, I'll shut up. Uh, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman and he brought her to the man uh, and Adam, no wonder we love ribs. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, uh, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. But it's now that God puts Adam into a deep sleep. And I think it's interesting, you know, anesthesia is kind of like that, sort of like a sleep state. Uh, but I love how simple this verse is. It says, God caused the deep sleep to fall on Adam. And Adam slept. <laughs> you know, like we were talking before, I don't think those guys have any problems sleeping if you give us a chance. Sure. <laughs> Sleep? Go for it. Let's do it. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, we don't have a problem doing that. No need to wake me up. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Bible says, uh, don't awaken love before it's time. And uh, Song of Solomon 8.4 and the non-living translation, uh, NLT. Uh, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. That's very important. To wait until the right time to awaken love. We all know what it's like, especially, you know, if we didn't know the Lord our whole lives and we begin to awaken love before the right one comes along and we get heartbroken or we heartbreak others or worse things happen. And then you have to go back to sleep and it's like, oh, it's hard to go back. How do I go back? Can I even go back to sleep? And God, you know, it took me a long time to go back to sleep before, before God brought my wife uh, to be. Uh, but imagine getting up from surgery while they're still working. That would be like a horror movie. That would be a nightmare. So let's not try and wake up when God is doing something. When we don't know what God is doing, he's saying, just rest. 
Don't worry about it. Don't get involved in it. Just step back and let me handle it. Just don't don't want to wake up. You know, I remember being there for my kids being born, and they were all born cesarean. And, you know, the last time they took the leash out, I'm on the leash, and they're like, you know, my wife's going like this, and the doctor's going like this, like putting stuff back or moving stuff around. I don't know what they're doing. It's like, oh, my goodness. I would not want to feel a second of that. So my wife's like, hey, how's it going? You know, under anesthesia, like, no problem. <laughs> but, again, just when God is doing something, let him do it. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting there. God uses a rib, you know, Adam. We're not missing ribs. But I think it's interesting, again, this is just thinking, I'm not saying it's gospel, but, you know, if you look at chromosomes, you see XY and XX, that the male chromosome, in a sense, is kind of missing a rib. And I'm not saying that that's what happened, but I'm just saying it's, it's interesting. I like to think weird like that. <laughs> but God made her, and God brought her, and I believe that that's the best relationship advice out there. God made her, and God brought her. God made him, and, and God will bring you to him. You know, because we can't make her. I don't know, guys, you ever try, you know, make the person into the right person? Or change your wife, you know? Mm -hmm. Come on, wife, can't you do this differently? And You know? Uh, <laughs> can't you be perfect like me? <laughs> you know, I'm just God's gift, aren't I? But, you know, you can't, you can't force her. You know, can't you get ready faster? No, that's me. I'm the one who was late this morning already. Uh, you can't change her. You know, but God will bring her. Or God will bring you to him. Um, again, I think that there's that's a very important because so often in the world we try and make things to be that, that aren't to be. Um, but when we wait for what God makes to be, it's so much better. You know, I can look at even my relationship with Ashley. When I tried to rush things in the beginning, uh, even though I knew she was the one for me, and I was like, oh, all right, let's, you know, let's get going. <laughs> you know, I messed things up. But uh, as we step back and let God begin to repair things and put things back together in the right way, Begin to be much sweeter than everything I could be. You know, my relationships only lasted so long in the world, and I can't believe they lasted that long. But with my wife, it's like it, just, it gets better and better. Um, as we close here, uh, Mark 10, 6 or 9 says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You know, God put them together, God brought Adam and Eve together. Let no one rip that apart. And what did Satan try to do? Rip that apart, you know? Because uh, Adam knew what was going on, and Eve was deceived, but Adam went along with it anyway. Um, so at least he gave him credit for not leaving her, I guess, maybe. <laughs> uh, but they were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And I think that that's, that's huge, uh, that there was this purity and intimacy there, that when they were bare physically, emotionally, and spiritually, that they weren't ashamed. And, you know, how often in our world that when we get bare in front of the person we love, that there's this shame there, or I don't want to expose my heart. I don't want to expose this thing. And rightfully, you know, you don't want to just dump on them your entire life's problems in a night. You know, you'll never get the second date. Wait. <laughs> uh, wait until they can't leave. Then, no. <laughs> Sincerely, you know, that there's sometimes shame there. Are they going to like me for who I really am? Are they going to love me? You know, that's something that I struggle with my wife even. Like, man, like, just because I'm messed up. And I'm realizing that, yeah, she does love me. I don't, it's a miracle. Um... <laughs> But it's a real relationship. It's not surface. And I think that the world tries to get intimacy through getting bare and then tries to get rid of shame by saying it's not there. And it is there because it's got to be put together in the right way. You know, because the world doesn't find intimacy. The, the world doesn't find uh, a lack of shame. They do, but then look at how things are falling apart because it's manifesting itself in other ways. Uh, because God made it to be that way, holy and sanctified. You know, the Lord God made it. And... You know, I encourage us all to, you know, find intimacy with Jesus tonight. You know, whether it's when you get home, whether it's in the car, whether 
whenever, five minutes, find intimacy with him. Find intimacy with others by being open and honest, especially the people that you're in close relationships with. Be open with them, be honest with them, you know. Um, it's important before marriage and it's important after marriage, you know, because you don't want to find out after marriage that you wish they'd opened up about this thing before marriage because then <laughs> this thing might not exist now if, they, if you had to figure that up then. Um, you know, bear your soul to them when the time is right and again in the right way. Um, you know, share it with your helpmate, you know, because that's what we are for each other when you're married. It's a helpmate. Someone's going to help you through life and you're going to help them and not in a codependent way, but really in a, in a good dependent way that we're helping each other. You know, how important it is to share our struggles and joys with our spouse, you know. Obviously, there needs to be safety. The Bible talks about needing to find safety in your spouse and trust them, but how important that is because that's the relationship. That's the way God designed it. That we're not supposed to go it alone, and we're supposed to have someone who's comparable to us, who's similar in some ways, but different in a lot of good ways, uh, to get us through. You know, I'm the I'm the I'm the crier in our in my relationship. <laughs> Ashley's like, it's okay, dear. <laughs> like, you know, if we we're both crying, I don't know what would happen. <laughs> yeah, we have to get more dishes. But, uh, but amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this time and your word, and that God, you formed us and made us. And God, I just pray for everyone here, uh, myself and my family included, God, that you would draw us closer to you and to each other in uh, holy ways and good ways. And God, may you just remove this stuff from us that's unholy and replace it with uh, good trees and good fruit. We ask God by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is all